Welcome to New Realities. I'm Alan Steinfeld. This is an interview from the archives that I did with Dr. David Hawkins around 2003, the author of Power Versus Force, The Eye and the Eye, and many um, deeper spiritual texts. And it's one of my most watched YouTube videos, but I thought I'd present it here on BBS. So enjoy it. Thank you for listening. Well, we were yeah. Well, we were having a good time. Should we stop and get serious? No, no. And should we include the audience? Yeah, let's include the audience. Oh, and good. Try, bring them up to speed. Oh. I'm talking to Dr. David Hawkins. He's an MD. MD PhD. PhD. And, uh, and, 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 and he's been knighted. Don't forget, sir. Oh, you've been knighted. Well, my real title in the East, they call me Sir Doctor Doctor. Sir Doctor Doctor. Yes, because I'm a, I was knighted by the crown, the Danish crown. You were. Plus, two, I have two doctorates. Oh. So in the East, they call me Sir Doctor Doctor. Sir Doctor Doctor. Isn't that neat? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Sir Doctor Doctor, you've interviewed. Yeah. Well. Well, that's right. You probably haven't met any Sir Doctor Doctors before. Welcome to New Realities. My name is Alan Steinfeld, and on this program I like to talk about consciousness, the evolution of spirituality, and who we are as an evolving race of, of human beings looking, looking for enlightenment, I would say, looking for an expansion of their own personal consciousness into a greater, greater mind. Tonight's guest is someone who's investigated these fields, who's written three books and more on the subject. He's Dr. David Hawkins. MD, PhD, knighted doctor, and uh, I'd say authority on consciousness. That's what they say. <laughs> That's what they would say. He's the author of Power Versus Force, which really put him on the map. And then there was the Eye of the Eye, and his latest is Eye Reality and Subjectivity. Thank you, Dr. Hawkins. That's fun to be here, yes. Uh, your investigations go into the field of what is consciousness and the measurements of consciousness, but how do you define consciousness to begin with? It's the um, infinite field that is the, subs, the matrix out of which all experience arises, mm -hmm. the very basis of subjectivity. The only reason we know that we're here talking is because subjectively we're aware of it, mm -hmm. and we're aware of it subjectively because we're conscious. And that so we share access to a field of consciousness. Right, but then it becomes individualized as the, the I, you know, this field of consciousness. Each of us thinks it's uniquely ourself, uniquely ourself. But, but because it's filtered through this little vessel of a perception, right? Then we call that me, right. I, right. personal self. Right. The so the book is how to transcend it. The realization that it's not just personal, that it's the ultimate, infinite source of all existence, frankly. This little me is the ultimate source of all existence. Well, the illusion that there's, that you're limited, right. that you're limited, uh, little, little I, whereas actually the awareness of your little I is coming from the big I, which includes the subjectivity of all of all of mankind, of all of life. But know. in your books and lectures, you talk about how the mind then, though, um, intercepts mm -hmm. that little that eye and thinks it's in control. Yeah, it gives it content and form, and then we label it me. The mind we label me, but the <laughs> mind, in some people's um, that I've met, say the mind is the illusion of, of the me. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a 
it's limited to a personalization. Mm. Whereas actually, we just per we've personalized the general and then call the personalized section me. See? And and the mind though is is uh, is when you're in your lecture you said only one percent of the totality of of this consciousness. That, that's true. The mind is ninety ninety nine percent silent. Only one percent is talking. And that one percent has hypnotized the. We call that me. <laughs> I. So there's really no difference between <laughs> me and you. Mm -hmm. uh, well, my I have a personalized section of it, and you have a personalized section right. of it. See, the, they're that that part is unique. But the generality, the, the reason we understand each other is because we share a commonality called consciousness. Mm. Otherwise, there'd be no understanding between us. Mm -hmm. And you've also talked about how we've demonized the ego into being something, you know, to reject and push away. But it's really part of our conscious evolution back to this great um, mind. If you, if you track the evolution of consciousness on this, on this planet, mm -hmm. It started millennia ago, and, and uh, yesterday we gave a lecture on the subject. And yeah. We pointed out how it started out uh, really with the bacteria, were the first conscious entities on this planet. Right. And then on up through the animal kingdom to uh, hominids, Neanderthal man, and Cro-Magnon man. And each, each and, level is an expansion of this, of this consciousness. Greater and greater awareness. Back mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. the awareness of where it began. Would you say? Well, I, I track where it originated so that we get to understand what the ego is and how we should uh, how we should positionalize ourselves about it. Well, where how we should look at it? Well, how should we mm -hmm. look at the? E I mean, it's not something to reject because people who haven't a strong ego development never get to dissolve the ego. That's my understanding. That, that's I, one theory that yeah. you have to. First, develop an ego in order to get rid of it. Exactly. Is that, is that, <laughs> is that not true? In a way, it's true. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But you know, in your own process, you know, you talked about your experience. Um, there was a point where you were an atheist. Well, you had some uh, revelations younger, and then you were an atheist, and then you sort of come full circle. What What exactly happened? What was the thing that ignited that conscious awareness that you were? Not this limited being, but something greater. You know, for, since I was three years old, the, the, there was a focus, uh, almost an obsession, about discerning what is truth and what is the nature of truth. It started out with rather major kind of what people would call spiritual uh, realizations mm -hmm. and uh, confrontations. And that led me into like a drivenness to discover what is the core, the essence of truth. But what were the spiritual you know? revelations that happened? To you? Well, at age three, that was a rather astonishing one. You know, as I said, prior to age three, there was nothing but oblivion. And then suddenly at age three, it was somebody turned on the Klieg lights, like you're in the dark, see? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden these lights come on and I suddenly realized I exist. <laughs> As a self-referential kind of being. Well, there was, a, there was just the, no, there was not even a personal self. There was just an awareness of existence mm -hmm. as a stunning reality, mm -hmm. prior to which there was no awareness of existence. So suddenly I'm confronted with existence as such, mm -hmm. which was not pleasing. It wasn't. No, no, because with non-existence, you have, frankly, nothing to worry about. With <laughs> existence, instantly, the first fear came up if you exist, the possibility would have been that you might not have come into existence. Uh -huh. 
this was all nonverbal. At age three, I had no such words. But there was a complete awareness that I exist. Consequently, it could have come about that I would not have come into existence. Right. So the first confrontation was, is the ultimate reality existence or non-existence? Mm. You know, the, did the Buddha... You know, but the, the fact Buddha, that you yeah. did exist proved existence in a sense. You know, they, they, don't you think there's only, you know, the, things are what they are and, and, and the ideas of hypothesizing that they could have been is also the creation of the mind? That was the immediate contrary. Yeah. So right. it was the, the polarity. Yeah. Of existence versus non-existence. Right. Okay. And of course, everybody fears that in the form of death. Right. They think that if I die, I will no longer exist, because they identify with the body as who they are. So then they fear. So everybody lives with the fear of death. Right. You know? Instead mm -hmm. of de identifying with consciousness, which is infinite. Which is infinite. beyond death. Right. But it, you know, it's unless mm -hmm. one goes through certain experiences, that is not apparent at all. But as you yeah. progress from three yeah. with that kind of, then what was the next uh, phase? Then the sense of self uh, would tend to disappear from an individual personal self into sort of a universal, universality. Mm -hmm. And I would uh, be in third grade, you know, and I would be sitting in the chair and I, and I would remind myself that I am David and I am sitting in this chair, that I'm just me, you know, because the self would just become like universal. <laughs> you mean if, if you didn't remind yourself? Uh, I would preoccupy myself with, 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 you know, reminding myself that I'm an individual person and my name is David and I'm sitting here in this chair and I'm doing spelling thing. Right. I know. I often have to uh, remind myself of my name because it's just it's just a label of identification to, for response, <laughs> right? Well, your consciousness is moving beyond the ordinary. Well, I hope so. <laughs> so you keep reminding yourself you're David and you're sitting in the well, chair. Well, I, I was doing this in grade school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. And and then be, yeah. because then you was a place you you rejected it all when you got into science. Well, before that. that, when I was a paper boy in yeah. Wisconsin, out in the blizzard. Uh, to get out of the blizzard after dark, mm -hmm. I climbed into a snowbank to get away from the terrible wind, 10 below zero, and pitch black. Uh -huh. and I was on the country, no lights, no houses. There you are by yourself in the uh -huh. blizzard. And uh, the only concern was getting away from the wind. So I dug a hole in the snowbank huh. and, and sat out of the wind. Uh -huh. And all of a sudden, the most exquisite like you were melted by an infinite love of infinite power, like dissolved. You're, you're dissolved and outside of time and space. And just this infinite presence, the presence not, was not different than the core and essence of that which I am. Mm. It was also beyond time. So I realized that that which I am existed before, before all universes and will continue on after all universes have gone. And this condition was beyond time. So you experience, you actually experience it like through the eons. Hmm. You're already beyond all time and space. So, and all that's nonverbal, hmm. but it's stunningly aware. So that was the first experience of what spiritually is called the self with a capital S. Or the trans yeah, the transcendence at, at of the... At the time, I'd never heard of it. <laughs> and how old were you? Then? Oh, 12, 14, 13. And that experience never left you. I mean, how could it, right? Well, the, um, it leaves a profound imprint, a profound knowingness. Mm -hmm. um, so anything less than that 
uh, is not of the same rank. <laughs> but, but then you progress to be a doctor and study and, and, and kind of uh, stuff your consciousness back into your, into your well, body. Well, then, right? then I, I really researched the uh, nature of the unconscious uh -huh. you know, in others and then in myself in four years of psychoanalysis. Uh, professor, a training analyst from Columbia University, yeah. uh, who's who, so Freud's really my great grandfather. <laughs> Freud analyzed Gardner, who analyzed Obese, who analyzed me. So my great grandfather <laughs> is, is Freud. <laughs> yeah, and Freud was a great genius, but he, he stopped. Genius, yes. But he stopped mm -hmm. his theories when it got beyond the personal self. It didn't. He. he he couldn't go into the, into the place Jung went with. No, he didn't go where Jung went. And, and so yeah. there was a limitation. But he it. discovered the, the profound importance of the unconscious. Mm -hmm. And, of course, we now just accept that. You know, it was a novel idea. Turn of the century, but not everybody accepts that we have an unconscious, and that it plays a big part in our life. And the unconscious, I though, is now, um, I think, in the place we are, evolutionarily, evolutionary-wise, yeah. is, is going into this spiritual awareness. So the unconscious and the spirit are kind of merging. Yeah, Jung, so Jung went further than, yeah. than Freud. So yeah. Freud calibrated at 499 and Jung calibrated at 520. Well, I don't think people uh, know what calibration yeah. well, well, is. Well, that's just well, between you and I, we won't tell anybody. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> no, but, but as far as your process, like once, once you um, <laughs> kind of had that experience as, at 12, then you try, tried to understand the unconscious, but you started to close down. Well, I was, I was brought up uh, very uh, uh, religiously. I was a Christian. Um, yeah, Episcopalian, mm -hmm. High Episcopalian, and I was a boy soprano, an acolyte, etc. And I was quite religious, in fact, scrupulous, scrupulosity, and almost. And um, one time I was out in the out in the woods by myself, and um, which I forgot to talk about in the lecture at all. And uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, came an, a a comprehension of the totality of the suffering of all of mankind throughout all of time. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking about it. I was just walking through the woods. And suddenly I saw the totality of all of the suffering of all of mankind through all of time. Mm -hmm. And you felt that as well. It was, you know, a realization. Mm -hmm. and, and in that instant I became an atheist. Really? I because said I couldn't, because God in, the, in that time what's considered to be the creator of everything. When I saw the totality of the suffering of mankind, I said, I cannot believe in the God that would have created that. And I instantly became an atheist. And now I became an intense atheist to the same degree I'd been an intense religionist. Mm -hmm. And I became a militant atheist, you know. And then went, later went on to a Jesuit university where I'm getting straight A's in theology and metaphysics and all this. Because you couldn't believe God would create that much suffering. That's right. So I held, well, that's not, a, not an uncommon uh, misconception. Yeah. yeah. Many an atheist becomes an atheist because he holds God responsible for the suffering of mankind. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So how would so. you get beyond that then? I mean, what was the trigger? <laughs> You're that? lucky to get <laughs> <laughs> No, many people don't. No, many years I was a very uh, intense atheist, probably 20 years. You know? It also makes them miserable as well mm -hmm. to think those thoughts. No, no, oh. because uh, it was great to get rid of religion because uh -huh. sin and guilt went with it. Uh -huh. Goodbye, sin and guilt. I was a free agent. 
So you said there's so wonderful. much suffering. No, I don't want to take on the responsibilities too much, and that God mm -hmm. could never have mm -hmm. created this um, this world full of that. So, but how did you resolve it? What was your next step? So well, you were, be I became an atheist. I was yeah. angry at God because yeah. if God, there was a God, He created all the suffering. Right. I didn't want anything to do with Him, so I disconnected from Him mm -hmm. and became an atheist. So there cannot, there isn't any God. See. So then I was an intense atheist for many years, and then. Uh, became involved in, con in continuous search into the truth of reality, and by then I'd been psychoanalyzed, so I was looking, in, looking within, mm -hmm. looking within, for the source of the sense of uh, uh, existence itself. Mm -hmm. And I went into it, I dove into the unconscious, and I went, it was sort of like Dante's hell. Mm -hmm. I went in deeper and deeper levels, uh, and eventually felt complete abandonment. And I researched, I really ended up in the depths of hell. Mm. And I went, I, I don't know, Dante understood hell. I mean, alone well and isolated and shut off? Is that what the Well, no, was? the top level of hell is torture and, you know, uh -huh. people being dismembered and crap. What usually people think of as hell, uh -huh. which is jacks for openers. That, I mean, that's just torture and horror. Right. What's then it begins to get bad. <laughs> what, what, like what, what, really? what is? Then uh, what horror really means, all of a sudden you become almost that out of which horror arises. Hmm. And then, start, then you enter the level of despair. And then you start going into the lower depths of hell, which are not really describable. Although I think Dante understood it because... You're, there's an absolute aloneness that is forever. It's the foreverness and the agony of absolute aloneness. You're like cut off from God completely. And there's like a knowingness as you go beyond to the lower depths of hell. It's almost like a sign that says, abandon all hope ye, ye who enter here. <laughs> I don't know how Dottie knew that, but by God, there's like a sign there. A knowingness. Beyond this, there is no hope ever. And now you understand what eternity means. Mm. That you're hopeless through all eternity and there is no recourse possible. Mm. It's dread and it's timeless. Mm. Just like the highest levels are timeless, the lowest levels are timeless. And the timelessness of forever dread, a voice within said, if there is a God, I ask him to help me. Mm. And then came oblivion. And after the oblivion cleared, I don't know how long it was there, hours or a day or But whatever. there was a surrender into that place. No, no it surrender. It wasn't a, a fight. It was just an acceptance. It's hopelessness. Hoping. There's nothing with which but, so to fight or to avoid. The hopeless, hope, hope is abandoned. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's neither hope nor will there ever be any relief from mm -hmm. endless agony forever. Forever agony, forever agony, with no hope ever. Anyway, the voice, a voice within said, if there is a God, I ask him for help. And then everything went blank. Mm -hmm. Then came an awakening, a, a recurrent return of consciousness, and the mind had become silent. Mm -hmm. This instant, the mind is still silent. And it was replaced by 
a brilliant revelation of the divinity of all that exists. You know? Uh, how do you describe divinity in that way? I mean, the totality, the allness of that which is, reveals itself as a oneness, but with a radiance. With a radiance. It's like you can see green, but with LSD, the green now shines forth. Mm -hmm. It was like a shining forth, the obvious divinity of all that exists. You know? And it, it was stunning and incapacitating. And therefore, not long after I frankly left the world, I left the world. At that time, I had the largest psychiatric practice in the United States. Mm -hmm. I had 50 people working for me in research laboratories and all. Mm -hmm. And a very um, elegant lifestyle, about as elegant as you can get, frankly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I walked away from it all. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, spent some years in solitude as to how to refunction in the world. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Because this, was this a continuous uh, feeling, this divinity, or was it a momentary? The overwhelm of the, re of the re revelation uh, slowly calmed down to the point that you could function. Mm -hmm. But it took some years, and even now it's not perfectly adjusted especially where the body is in space and things. Mm -hmm. But you don't want it yes. to. I mean, isn't mm -hmm. the idea of existence to live no. in that world of divine revelation or divinity with a foot in this world as well? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's an intellectual concept. Uh, <laughs> subjectively, it isn't that way. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Subjectively, uh, uh, there's no interest in the body, uh, eating, uh, you can, uh, all the bodily functions sort of uh, uh, cease, either that or you lose your awareness of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, there's a certain degree of learning how to be in the world again, frankly. And this is where you are now? Yeah. Uh, this is sort Now of... I've relearned how to be in the world mm -hmm. to a fairly good degree, fairly good degree, and um, where the body is. And you see, when you're no longer the body, you see people talking to this body, and you wonder, who are they talking to? <laughs> I mean, I'm not there. You can see, oh, they all think that you're that. Oh, oh God. And so then you got to reconnect mm -hmm. in, a, in a way that's really hard to describe. Yeah, I've had senses of that. So, so you're, you feel like you're not this. You're this awareness that encompasses both and all. And It's not even that. It's, it's none of that. <laughs> no, I know. I'm trying it's because, to. Think. It's because you're none of that. That's the difficulty. I guess there's no way to talk. I'm trying to intellectually. I understand what you're. No, but, yeah, you're but, trying to get, get a description of what it was no, like. No, and yeah. I guess there's no way to describe. You have to have the experience. You have to, you know, it's not even an experience, is it? Because the experience is still filtered through the me. Or is it? Yes, but we're trying to describe, you know, a phenomena that's rather rare in history and uh, has been described periodically. Yeah. And. Uh, it's only described with some difficulty. You can only get an approximation to it, you know. And you know. it still doesn't give people the experience of it. I mean, we, you know, to the uninitiated, it wouldn't mean anything really, right? Because, I mean... It's people are curious about it, so they mm -hmm. ask about it because mm -hmm. of curiosity, you know. 
So where are you now? You've had well, what's that. What's the implication for them? That's the real importance. Well, it plants yeah. a seed, probably, for the, like say, there might be something that they might go through or ha realize at some point that will match this. Decision. Well, the process is called um, the process is called rel uh, relinquishing the ego, the progressive relinquishment of the ego, mm -hmm. and uh, the to, you know, for the termination of identifying oneself as the mind and its intellectual functioning. Mm. So at that point, you're no longer the body, uh, you're no longer the mind, mm. nor are you limited in time or space, <laughs> which is hard to describe. Yeah, and, and also you yeah. talk about in these well, we've books... we've done a good job of describing it. <laughs> oh, I, but the fact that the mind creates continuity, that, you know, these thoughts have a continuous sequence, and, and, and you're saying that's also an illusion because each thing arises separately. Uh, and the world looks to the average human mind like a world of causality, right. a Newtonian paradigm, where there's a this that causes a that, yeah? And as we tried to explain, it doesn't really work that way. What happens is that a potentiality becomes an actuality, and mm -hmm. that is witnessed sequentially, and therefore you think there's causality in the world. Causality is in the mind. Mm -hmm. So the most important thing I try to teach in transcending the identification with the ego and the mind is um, the difference between what uh, Descartes calls res interna, that is, that of the mind, mm -hmm. and res externa, that of the world. Mm -hmm. And the illusion is that one thinks that what one sees in the mind, then they project it on the world and they think that that's in the world. They think it's real. All right, so yes. causality makes sense to the mind. Mm -hmm. So it presumes, therefore, mm -hmm. that it's out there. Mm -hmm. It's a presumption. The mm -hmm. out there has no concepts. So causality couldn't be out there because that's only a concept which only, can only exist in your head. But there uh, is there uh, is something out here, yeah. right? There is a there is a world that we are are interacting with. There, it very, very definitely is. Yes. And, and, but what is that world? There's no way to know it. Well, it, it, all, we don't really know it except by its uh, our subjective experience of its phenomena. So we are process processing you know, sequences of phenomena. That's what our mind is doing all the time. And what's the point of that, if it's that's an illusion? What, what is the point of... Uh, oh, it's not necessarily an illusion, because the subjective reality is a subjective reality, and there's an external reality that's also an external reality. But it seems yeah. like the subjective reality is the illusion, the fact that there's a me and a you, a personal... That's... That's a presumption. Presumption. So what we try to do is transcend the presumptions of the mind and the mm. presumptions of the mind to come about because of the structure of the ego. Mm -hmm. So what we try to do is go back in time and see how did the ego arise. Mm -hmm. And we see that mm, the field of consciousness itself is infinitely powerful. And when it interacted with matter on this planet, out of that arose life. Mm -hmm. So life, life arose out of the infinite field of consciousness itself, which alone has the mm -hmm. sufficient power. Right? But you could say infinite yeah. field of consciousness. You can also say God. Now, I like infinite field better, but people have said God, right? Because God, is, uh, for the same reason that Buddha said, it's better not to mention God, because <laughs> people have all kinds of conceptions about God. <clears throat> 
But consciousness <clears throat> sounds more, a little safer to discuss. Yeah, okay. Isn't it? Yeah. And, of course, then you see the evolution of consciousness up through the animal kingdom. Mm -hmm. In fact, you can calibrate the energy, the calibrated levels of consciousness throughout the animal kingdom. So the infinite awareness... And then awareness, it comes out as man. And then it comes, we eventually come to man. And, and, we're, and as we head back to the infinite consciousness. As, so man is the, is the bridge from the, from the spark of life back to the infinite consciousness. The, he, he becomes the bridge, yes. Yeah. And it, it comes full circle then. So, so yes. then he has this protoplasm and a body. Right. And he has an animal, animal uh, brain and animal instincts. Mm-hmm. And that's the basis of the structure of the ego. Is the animal side of it. Yeah, that's the beginning of it. Okay. And we share many things with the animal, territoriality and, uh, you know, all. Food, on survival. All that. All that yeah. also. And then on, on top of being an animal, mm -hmm. we develop a prefrontal cortex. Uh-oh. <laughs> we were doing okay until we got a prefrontal cortex. Now. What did that do for us? Now. Yeah, up here you have the capacity of the angelic, you know, the awareness of spirituality, and in the back of the brain you're still an animal. Mm -hmm. So man has the unenviable position of having the instincts of the animal and the forebrain of the angel, and so his life is very, very difficult. The task of the human being is to evolve from being dominated by the instinctual animal. Mm -hmm. And then the thinkingness of the prefrontal cortex, and then moving on to that to spiritual awareness. So it's quite a project. So the frontal cortex mm -hmm. is where the consciousness itself can be realized. Yeah, as, where we, as the that's infinite. where we process things, you know. The infinite can be somehow held in, in thought in, in the prefrontal. So you see, if, if, when the prefrontal cortex was put there, uh -huh. The old animal brain was not removed. Mm -hmm. Then we wouldn't have any problem. No, the animal brain is there, and now you add the prefrontal cortex. And then to make it up to consciousness level 200 or so, uh, you just have the physical prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. And then as you start to become spiritually awakened, mm -hmm. there's the release of what tradition has been called, let's say, the kundalini energy, yeah. the spiritual energy. Now changes the way the brain functions and you develop beside the protoplasmic physical uh, brain an energy brain called the etheric brain. Mm -hmm. The etheric brain is more like an energy field. Mm -hmm. And uh, now, now you can the spiritualized person actually processes things differently. Their brain processes things differently. They see things differently. They experience them differently. Because mm -hmm. mm. they can tap into something beyond the physical with this etheric brain. It, it, the etheric brain does it for them. Mm -hmm. So um, a person b b that calibrates below 200, let's say, on yeah. a scale of consciousness, and a person who calibrates above will have two different experiences of the same phenomenon. Right. And she'll say, wasn't it awful? And he'll say, gee, that was pretty nice, wasn't it? <laughs> it was the same experience, but subjectively. To one it was awful, to the other it was entertaining. Well, we should yeah. talk about how you've mapped uh, mm -hmm. consciousness from the bacteria yeah, up that, into the most... That, that was uh, I mean, the thrust of the first book. Yeah, the power uh, versus force. We discovered how to calibrate the level of the consciousness. Right. For the first time in human history, we knew the difference between truth and falsehood. And how did we know this? Well, the thrust <laughs> of the, the impact of the work the, the, was by, that man is, because of the structure of the ego, uh -huh. Man has never had the capacity to discern truth from falsehood. 
Then we discovered through a certain e easy to learn technique called kinesiology right. that the field of consciousness instantly recognizes truth from falsehood. So, But kinesiology yeah. has been proven not to be 100% accurate. With what? With people, with people doing the testing, the muscle testing, right? I mean, it's influenced by the tester and the testee. Uh, if people don't know how to do it, uh -huh. no. If you, if you do it correctly, then you have no personal interest in the matter. Right. You have no personal position. It, You're just using it like litmus paper. Uh -huh. You know, red is acid, blue is uh, base, base, you know, alkaline. So, so through this technique, you were able to then um, map truth? Anyway, what we did is we, we created a scale of one to a thousand relative uh -huh. degrees of truth. And that which is more or less above 200 is true, mm -hmm. and that which is under 200 is not true. True. And it's well, impersonal. How, but how do you define true? Oh, that's what the whole book's about, yes. Yeah, Man's yeah. never been able to define what is true. Yeah, how do you? Because truth is content, but it's only true within a certain context. Right. So one reason truth has never been agreed upon is because it's not possible to discern truth unless you state in what context. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we define truth really differently as ever been, because truth is content within a certain context, within an overall context of the field of consciousness itself. So the but technique we use is, is tapping uh, an, ab an absolute. The field of consciousness itself is an absolute, it is not a variable. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you have to discover some absolute. So what would the absolute yeah. be? What would the, the absolute would be the field of consciousness itself, itself. which innately has mm -hmm. the, the capacity to discern truth from falsehood, mm -hmm. much like an electrostatic uh, condenser. When you, the electrostatic condenser just stands there. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. It does nothing. It has a potential. When you bring an opposite charge up to it, it crackles. It recognizes it. Mm -hmm. When you take it away, it disappears. So it is a, mm. you might say, this field is the absolute. It does right. nothing except be. And then it will only respond to what is presented to it to the degree of the intensity of the stimulus. Uh, so and that's what consciousness be, is, it responding to the stimulus that's what of, it does. Of, of creation. Of, that's what of, it does, yeah. It's a, it's a clean field, clear field. So you, you mapped yeah. a whole scale of, of consciousness. All possibility, all possibility within this domain. And then you, you found that the most realized beings registered at um, a thousand, like 1, Jesus, 000, yeah. Jesus, Buddha, and and most of human society is below 200, which is... Be, be in America, it's 50-50. 50-50. The Calvary level of consciousness in America, America calibrates at 421. 421. And 50, yeah, that's extremely high. It's the highest country in the world as far as called by level consciousness. Is that because people have gone beyond survival here and they have um, achieved a level of uh, spiritual pursuit? Well, four, the 400s, calibrated levels of the 400s, are the intellect. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, what we consider normal, our normal world is rational. Mm -hmm. Rational, sensible, logical. Mm -hmm. It follows the rules of logic. Mm -hmm. And it's educated. It's really quite sophisticated. That's that's uh, our world, but that's our let, world. let's start from from zero to a hundred. We just uh, it's basically animal nature. Survival. That would be very rudimentary. Yeah, yeah. and so, then from one hundred to two hundred is the base. more energy. So the increase of energy as you go up. Mm -hmm. So below two hundred, we call it force, 
because force has an opposite. Right. And from 200 up is power. Mm -hmm. So power doesn't have an opposite. It's power. Power doesn't have an opposite. Like you said, so, like light. It's or yeah. yeah. So the, the the power as the mm -hmm. consciousness field goes up, yeah. the power goes up logarithmically. Mm -hmm. So 15 percent. Let's see. We said. What? Yeah. In the world overall. Mm -hmm. 15% calibrate from 200 and up, and 85% 200 and down. Right. And the reason the world doesn't self-destruct is because the 15%, the power is so enormous that they totally counterbalance the 85%, mm -hmm. you know, the power. Now, so how would together. one raise their level of consciousness? That's what all spiritual work is about. Right. And, uh, you know, to choose to forgive rather than to condemn. Mm -hmm to understand rather than to vilify, mm -hmm. uh, to be compassionate towards all of life. Mm -hmm. And eventually, uh, if you're compassionate towards all of life, one day as you're not expecting it, uh, suddenly see the sacredness of all of life. Mm -hmm. Now, below consciousness level 200, sacredness of all of life doesn't make any sense at all. Mm -hmm. And for in the 400s, it would be a concept but as you move to consciousness levels 500 and up, it becomes a radiant obviousness. <laughs> All life is sacred. <laughs> but that's why there's been so much war on this planet, because people haven't uh, recognized the sacredness of life. They've been below this level. Of, that's true. And in interestingly, you know, in all of human history, mm -hmm. the, the world has been at peace only 7% of the time. Yeah. 93% of the time we've been at war. 93% of human history, had, the world has been at some kind of war. Somewhere on the planet yeah. there's been a war. 7% of the time is peace. Mm. <laughs> so why do we live in this strata of consciousness? Why can't we all live in this peaceful world? There must be a purpose for existence creating this large venue of, of interactions. Well, we see it as a stratified level of evolution. Yeah. The evolution of consciousness takes us right from through the insect world, really, on up through the animal world, uh, up through the average human, up to the enlightened human, will it the always, angels and the saints. But yeah. will it always mm -hmm. be that stratified? Will we ever start to live in a world that's, you know, in peace? Or is the purpose of existence to live in the strata? Well... There's the celestial realms, and then there's the earthly realms. <laughs> this is not a celestial realm, right? No, but it, uh, it could be. Yeah. It could be. It's possible for us to live in Seven percent of the time, at least, it gives up war. But we're evolving as uh, a conscious race. That seems to be the purpose. Yeah. Is sort of a karmic evolution of consciousness. And as the Buddha, that you know, the Buddha said that. Mm. Actually, all religions say that. That this is sort of an evolutionary phase, and what you choose will uh, decide what the fate is after you leave the body. Mm. But mm -hmm. that goes against sort of what you were saying about things arising spontaneously. This karmic oh, evolutionary. The, thing. Well, that's only what you witness as phenomena within mm. the material world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But things, things have an evolution to them, or... So all of life is really uh, evolutionary. Yeah. And how we witness it then depends on the degree to which we transcended the ego, how we interpret it. Right. 
like we say, well, the animal kills, uh, you know, so the, the animal doesn't kill, the animal just eats. Right. So we interpret it from a human viewpoint. Oh, bad animal, bad lion kills poor rabbit. Mm -hmm. But if with consciousness research, we ask, does the, animal, does the lion actually want to kill the rabbit? We get no. Mm -hmm. What does the lion want? The, the lion wants to eat lunch. <laughs> and that's the only way. No, he all knows how to eat lunch, but, but what so, because is he doesn't have enough energy. He has to get energy out there. But so. what is the overall purpose of existence? If we're evolving back to the consciousness that created life, mm -hmm. what was the point of it all to begin with? That is beyond comprehension. <laughs> <laughs> but do you have a sense? Do you have a, a, a you know any? Uh, the sense is that um, consciousness was impersonal, mm -hmm. didn't have any kind of program, mm -hmm. and it spontaneously evolves over the eons to higher and higher transcendence until it finally realizes it, the reality of its own source. Mm -hmm. And then coming back, it spontaneously the... does that, just like water seeks its own level. And then we're back at mm -hmm. that oneness where we began. Then you transcend the identification with limitation. But it's so nice. Mm -hmm. The illusion is so pleasurable, and the and you know, <laughs> the, the reality. Is, you don't think so. <laughs> a great deal of the time it is. Yes. Yeah, and yes. so there must be a, a way of keeping that um, expanded consciousness and the individuality. Um, with the awareness that we're not that, you know, there's a way of walking in two worlds. Yeah. That is a rel relatively advanced level of consciousness. Uh -huh. And, and <laughs> well, <laughs> this is where we're headed. Eighty-five percent of the people in the world would not agree with you. <laughs> so there's no way to deal with people at these mm -hmm. levels of two hundred who want to make war, except to let them play out there, you know. Their levels. Well, of we try, everyone tries to uplift the to total uh, awareness of mankind. You know? mm -hmm. And I'll say all the people who pray and through acts of goodwill and good works tend to lift the overall level of consciousness. And by doing that, they lift all the ships on the sea. Mm -hmm. So, what can we do for people who have less? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. If we raise the level of conscious awareness itself, it has a positive impact, you know. Mm. And this is this is what our this is what the purpose of consciousness then does. That's the purpose of prayer and mm. peace vigils and all these things. Mm. So, what's the next step so, for you? Where are you, where are you heading? What I'm doing is finishing a book, uh -huh. in which we use a technique to tell the calibrated level of consciousness of things, the degree of truth. What really calibrating is is the degree of truth, and then we use these calibrated levels of consciousness to examine everything in the world, mm -hmm. all the movies, all the places on the planet, mm -hmm. from Machu Picchu to the. Well, what are some of the high places you found? Well, this this trip we did the Cathedral of Saint John the Divine, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. did Saint Thomas's Cathedral, and yeah, we did Fifth Avenue, we did the uh, Empire State Building. Uh, Statue of Liberty. What registers really high on this level of truth? What 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 are some of the high points? Yeah, in New York City. In New York City and around the world. Well, in New oh, York City. Oh, around the world, yeah. Well, and we did the cathedrals around the world. What what are some of the high and, points uh, in the around the world? 
Uh, frankly, the great cathedrals really calibrate generally, the higher and higher than anything else. More than the pyramids in Egypt? Oh, uh, yes. Really? Oh, yeah. You know, the great cathedrals of the world really, as, as, as a locality, calibrate, calibrate higher than any other place. You know? mm -hmm. How does St. John the Divine calibrate? Oh, well, it's over 610. Mm -hmm. Extremely high. Extremely and high. What was another high cathedral? St. Thomas, uh, Chartres Cathedral in Chartres. France, uh, Notre Dame. So is there, yeah. is there a rest? So the great cathedrals, uh -huh. oddly, you know, they do. They calibrate higher than in energy than any other objects or localities, you know. So is there a radiance or a yeah. reflection that happens when you're sitting in these places that help uplift our vibration? I, I think, well, it, it comes about as a result of intention. Mm -hmm. So, so the, it's the intention behind it, plus maybe a thousand years it took, takes to build, over a couple of centuries to build some well, of If we're sitting down. in these places, mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. must be that intentionality reflecting on our field. The, uh, the, the energy field of those places is uplifting. So that's why people go to church and all, for, to feel uplifted. Uh -huh. But any place that has great beauty, I think Central Park, we didn't calibrate Central Park, yeah. uh, but going through there yesterday, uh -huh. uh, the obvious intention, that, and the intention of the preserving and, and reflecting the beauty of nature, you know, creation, the beauty of creation through the beauty of nature. So it's all about uh, uplifting. All those things are uplifting, yes. Uplifting, as opposed to the things that are not uplifting, which mm -hmm. would be what? Things that are demeaning, mm -hmm. um, things that play off the lowest uh, impulses of man. Like war and... And war, um, oh, let's say gangster rap, you know, mm -hmm. gangster rap, in other words, to exploit mm -hmm. the downside of man, sensationalism. And places? Uh, are there places mm -hmm. that are down as well? Like this, yeah. you can feel it. You can feel yes, it you can tell down places. Yes. But isn't part of that the illusion to to love everything and to see it all as divine? Well, mm, how one relates to that is personal, mm -hmm. but what it is is impersonal. So, so you're, you're measuring the impersonal response to truth that that exists. So what what that reflects about society, it would be the downside. So on a calibrated level of consciousness. There's also the downside. What does the downside look like? The downside looks like cruelty, mm -hmm. uh, lascivious uh, exploitation of sexuality, mm -hmm. um, indifference to the rights of others, you know, violating other people's boundaries. So as a conscious yeah. society, oh, of course, murder. We, we're, well, <laughs> sure, that's, that's never been a good one. <laughs> so we're evolving towards this place of, 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 of not morality, but a decency. You could, yes, you could, we could call it just uh, an aesthetic awareness. So as you become more evolved, you become, things become distasteful because they're just totally foreign. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The only evolved person doesn't need laws to not rob and kill and right. steal and murder. An mm -hmm. uh, unevolved person really needs those, really needs to know it's against the law. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They do. But yeah. but I've always hoped to live in an enlightened society. I mean, that's, it's well, 421 is a pretty enlightened society. Uh -huh. It's very concerned with ethics and morality, uh -huh. current events, the ethics and morality of everything, uh -huh. uh, movies. Uh, it's, it's, so morality and ethics are really very central to the uh -huh. American discourse. And and to move about beyond. everything, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you, can you calibrate the future where we're heading? Can you calibrate? You, no, the future you can't calibrate. Why is that? Because it doesn't have any existence. Uh -huh. <laughs> so so the 
the field of consciousness, as I said, is like an electrostatic uh, mm. um, field, uh, can only respond to what is, mm -hmm. and it cannot respond to what is not. But yet so, there's a place mm -hmm. beyond time as well, mm -hmm. so timelessness is, uh, the future takes place within a linear thing, but there's a timeless place as well. This is what I'm trying to understand. I, I, the substrate of all of existence is timeless. I keep thinking that time future, is a track that we superimpose and project onto it. I hope that the future yeah. is moving into the timeless, but that's also part of the illusion of the mind. Well, it's already in the timeless. In fact, the, real, the present is in the timeless. Mm -hmm. uh, time is only a track within the head. And one thing that happens when you escape uh, the ego mm -hmm. is uh, the instant stop of time. So the states I went into are all timeless states. And then you get reoriented to the world and you learn how to time track it again. Mm. But frankly, you live timelessly. So you're living in a timeless place. In actuality, yeah. When, when you... But I've learned how to time track it. Mm. So you still hold so, on to your personality mm. somehow. With, uh, yes, with effort. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then you're mostly... By in, myself, I let it all go. <laughs> by yourself, what happens? Where are, yeah, all that disappears. What, what, where are you? Where? One, is, one is just sort of timeless existence. And there's no you? There's no, no, there's no personal you. But you, when you interact with people, you readopt a persona. Uh -huh. uh, is it possible to exist without the personal, without the persona? Can we? That's can we the reality. That? That's the reality that's going on all the time. That's the un that's the un reality underneath it all. Yeah. Because it's the persona that creates the problems. That's the true. Yeah. Yeah. So we could exist just being, without persona. Well, actually, we're doing that right now. We are. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> but we don't want to sound strange to the world, so. We're all doing it, though, right? Yeah, that's so, true. We're all yeah. doing that. And, and it's just this kind of, many people are very attached to their personas. Yeah, they are. And, and the body. And the body. Yeah. And they've identified. And their mind. Their and their mind. mind. And their mind, yeah. Yeah, I like and, what you. And thinkingness. And thinking. I, thinking. I, I personally love thinking. Oh, I you get, like thinking? I get pleasure well, from I'm, thinking. Well, that's good. That's no, fine. but it's also part of that, that illusion. No, it? you should get pleasure out of everything. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but there's a part Some of Some people get pleasure out of misery. Yeah. They love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. After no. lecture, you know, people come up and they got endless misery and misery. Mm. You, think, <laughs> you could have let that go 30 years ago. <laughs> and why don't people, how do you let it go and why don't they? Going on to, yeah. When you let go wanting to hang on to it, yeah. because uh, the ego gets satisfaction out of it. Yeah. So when you relinquish the, willing to relinquish the satisfaction, you get out of rehashing something that happened 30 years ago, then you disappear it. Mm -hmm. But as long as you're getting juice out of it, living off of it. Right. So um, you've made a mm -hmm. great bridge from the psychological to the mm -hmm. divine. Like you, you have, uh, you kind of span those worlds. But from the Newtonian. Yeah. 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 How do we make that? How does the world make that bridge? Because people are locked into their psychology. You don't see this other level and. Well, well I think all the people that are interested in spiritual work yeah. all have the same intention, to transcend the identification with the mind or the body, uh, to realize the universal self, you might say. Mm -hmm. So they're all united in that. They're all trying to move, you know, to the awareness of divinity.
But that yeah. doesn't happen. It didn't happen to Freud. It doesn't happen until you have it, until you have a, a revelation. Well, in this lifetime, Freud moved up to consciousness level 499, mm -hmm. as did Einstein right. and Sir Isaac Newton. Mm -hmm. So that's pushing the intellect to see how far, how can, how far can you go mm -hmm. with the intellect as a tool mm -hmm. in understanding absolute reality. So, but you can only go so far. Well, the intellect, uh, if you calibrate it, mm. you know, is the 400s. Right. And at 499, you move to 500, and 500 is love. Then you enter the realm of love as the ultimate important reality. Uh -huh. Now you're in a different paradigm. Right. Now you're in a different paradigm. Now, uh, the yardstick is the degree to which something is loving, nurturing, beautiful, sacred, now you have a whole different yardstick. But there's a so, huge jump from uh, 499 to 500. And it's, you, uh, it's a paradigm I, I, jump. I, I, and you just have to jump. It's a jump to the subjective. Yeah. So true. in the 400s, you're concerned with what out thereness. Yeah. At 500, suddenly you realize, I don't live out there. I live within my own subjective awareness. Now the quality of subjective awareness transcends the importance of what's out there. Right. And what's out there is relatively important except to the degree that re it reflects or enhances the subjective uh, exquisiteness of life. So going through Central Park was beautiful because the aesthetic, you mm -hmm. see the value of the aesthetic. And I mm -hmm. thought, there were children playing there, you know, and I thought, now without Central Park, they would not have access to the aesthetics of the surroundings, the love of nature, the appreciation mm -hmm. of beauty and flowers. and. Mm -hmm. Joy. Huh? Yeah, no, Joy. I, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and we bring that all in mm. to, to modify the illusion, to uplift the, the level of consciousness. We bring this aesthetics in so we can... Well, we increase our awareness of it. And then we transcend it. And then for a while, you only experience it within certain settings, you know, yeah. certain music, certain settings of nature. And then as consciousness awareness uh, progresses, you begin to experience it everywhere, all the time. And you pick up anything, you pick up, the people say, that's a nasty old weed, and you see the incredible beauty, it's like a beautiful piece of sculpture. Because uh -huh. now you see the beauty of everything that yeah. exists, you know. And that's where you're, you're, you're living in that place. Then you, then you have to uh, learn how to live in the world again, which, and how the world sees everything. Hmm. And so, it's an adjustment. Hmm. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a place we're all heading towards. That's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> then, what would you, then what use would the world be? <laughs> well, I don't know. We'd all be in the celestial realm. Well, yeah. So we wouldn't be uh, running through this earth, earth life anymore. Do things happen in your so, body as well with that revelation? The kundalini, the energy, the... the that was quite intense, yes. What, what happened <clears throat> in that? Um... Well, on asked, uh, this exquisite sensation would start running up my spine. Uh -huh. It was like a flow up, up the spine and up the back. It went on for five or six years. Uh -huh. And it would flow up into the brain, actually. Mm. And so the pleasure of it was exquisite, exquisite. Mm. And then sometimes the energy would flow down and radiate out into various uh, things happening within the world. Mm. Like a, a, well, like down. I rounded a bend and the car had just turned over, crashed. Mm -hmm. And this energy just flew, you know, flowed with this exquisite intensity 
right into the car. Obviously, people were praying. Out of you, into the car. Yes. You were witnessing it. You weren't doing anything. I myself did nothing yeah. except, and this phenomenon would occur in various places. Usually, some I got the feeling that people were praying, and you were like sort of a way station, and the energy would come down through you and out to uh, the person praying, and then uh, it would suddenly stop, or there would be a fight starting someplace. This energy, one time in Chicago, it's running down the block, and I get down the block, I see these two gangs ready to go at each other. Mm -hmm. This energy is flowing right into them. All of a sudden you see one side go uh, like this, and the other side go like this, and they both fell back, and the fight stopped, you know. Mm -hmm. This energy uh, did that for five or six years. You and know, then it's it, amazing it, things. And then you're not, it's not happening anymore. And it, that, that slowly faded away. And, and, and other phenomena <laughs> took its place. Like what? Like, <laughs> I can't say it's, I can't were you say. disappearing? Were you like, <laughs> if, if consciousness, if the time is an illusion, then we could take this moment and be in another place instantly, because this is mm. a creation of the mind. Right? Hypothetically, that's true. But in reality. <laughs> that's the way the phenomena occurred. Mm. You know? And this phenomena, you know, things would heal themselves in it. Mm. People would walk in and sit in this field next to me. And in fact, it was uh, under the clock. It was at the mm. Biltmore, under the clock. Mm. At the Biltmore, yeah. Mm. I was sitting there, and there's the clock up there. Mm. This lady sits down next to me, mm. and she's ranting and raving. She's got paranoid delusions and aches and pains and limping and all this thing. And this energy starts just going over. She, She's rattling away there, talking to herself, and this energy goes there. After a few minutes, uh, the energy, I'd say maybe five minutes, the energy slowly comes to a stop, mm -hmm. and she stops her ranting. She was having paranoid delusions, mm -hmm. ranting about supposed to meet her under the clock. You know, there wasn't no such person. Right. And uh, she got up and walked away fine, calm and peaceful, and she walked normally, you know. So those, it was that energy that did that. Oh. And I was just like an impersonal uh, yeah. antenna. Huh. Uh, but it was the energy that did that. Mm -hmm. So this is the energy of consciousness interacting with form as as we evolve. It's called spiritual energy. Yeah. Classically, mm -hmm. it was called Kundalini energy right. over the ages. You know, huh. Sanskrit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> thank, you, thank you, Dr. Hawkins, for sharing your experience. Yeah. And, and giving something to the world. That well, it was, we were talking about it from somewhat different way than than the way I usually present it. We saw it more like how the world would be interested in it. And that's yeah. what I was interested in. Yeah, thank you. I mean, how I lecture about it is the way I, I see it. And, and how you're asking us how the world would want to see it. And that's where it was valuable. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think I th for, for me, of course, I want the experience there that, you know, I, it's intellectual for me, I mean, uh -huh. in a sense. <laughs> I'm getting a, an idea of it, but. Yeah, until well, I have intention takes you there anyway. Yeah. If you handle that attention, then everything that's needed to achieve that comes to you. It's handed to you. See, the intention for divinity, intention for achieving. Yeah, your yeah. intention yeah. will then pull to you all that's required to reach that goal. Okay. You just hang on to the intention, that's all you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm talking with Dr. David Hawkins, author of Power Versus Forest. An explorer of this world of phenomena. That's what I would call you, an explorer.
That's what the new book is going to be. Exploring. Yeah. Mm. It's like we discovered the, the microscope. Mm -hmm. Now in this book we're going to describe, you know, what we saw. Mm -hmm. We took this and we saw this and we draw pictures of it. So we describe with a new tool now what was not observable throughout history. <laughs> Backyard with Alan on the camel and my man Bashar. Ten rabbis, a physicist, guru, and a genius. A woman who can teach you how to grow your penis. I'm a romper, Jay Z, channeling true love. Oh, reality's boring. We're starting a new one. Hearts popped open. Dalai Lama, rock your soul with my tantric chakras. Now say Om with Deepak Chopra. Natasha's so dope. Who needs Oprah? Shaman Steven is high as selves. NSA can't stop. My elves, fairies landed, whole world's dusted, hugging undercovers, butt naked in public. Governments bugging, but they're so corny. Back to the cramp, first starborn orgy. What? It's realities. Changing the news, the realities. God's interviews, the realities. Where do I begin? A left mention? JJ Hurtock, keys of Enoch. Open up doors, teleport to Montauk. Navy ships disappear for battling. Duncan Cameron starts time traveling. Nassim Harem and Electron spin. Word I am word selling channeling. Paulo, masculine, feminine. Marianne Williamson tears to triumph. Jay goddesses lift weights with their vaginas. Till there's a tantric holy glow. Jody Sabrota's a UFO. From Sedona to DC, Washington disclose ETs. David Ike is like Adam and Eve. Meet me down a caravan of dreams. For Alan Steinfeld's the realities. Changing the news. The realities. God's in reviews. The realities. Where do I begin? The realities. 